One of our customers today, they have a great analogy, which was think small and you'll achieve big things. While it's counterintuitive, I think it's, you know, the, the small pod structures today, the gamification, etc., really leads to companies being a lot more nimble and innovative in terms of getting the best out of their employees too. In today's episode, Lee James, the CTO of Rackspace EMEA, the voice you just heard, by the way, and I discuss how the online game Fortnite can influence modern business team structures. Now, Lee is a brilliant thinker and an engaging speaker, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode where we dig into team structures. Now, inside most organizations, this is something that gets hotly debated when times of change come around, but these debates usually are more about fiefdom building as opposed to answering the question, what's the best way to organize to encourage the most productivity? And is everything really on the table? Now, at the end of the episode, I'll be back to tell you about an amazing new series of global roundtables being hosted by Rackspace. So make sure you stick around for that. And then lastly, there'll be a preview of our next episode. Okay, let's get into today's episode about team structure powered by Fortnite. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So I've been thinking a lot lately about what team organization looks like, and it's not necessarily something that's a new topic. Hi, my name is Jeff Deverter with Cloud Talk, and I'm joined today by Lee James, who is the CTO over here at Rackspace for our EMEA region. Lee, welcome to our first transcontinental episode. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, really looking forward to it. I, I, the topic's extremely exciting. And yeah, sadly, we can't do this in person. I was hoping we could, but yeah, we're over the airwaves today. Over the airwaves. Well, it'll happen yet because you've got a lot to share and I'd love to have you on more. And the reason I say I've been thinking about team structure is because you've been making me think about structure because you've really brought some interesting things up. I've got some kids, they're a little older, 124, 117, but he does play a fair amount of Fortnite. And never did I think I'd have a conversation about corporate team IT structure and Fortnite in the same event. So why don't you just start to lead us into this whole topic of organizational structure and thinking about it from the concept of game theory or, or whatnot? Yeah, so, I, well, firstly, I want to say, um, look, I'm very proud of your son for playing Fortnite. I, I, I'm also a very big Fortnite gamer. For for people that, that, that don't know what Fortnite is, it's a very popular free game that was developed a couple of years ago. Concept was 100 people or 100 players get dropped onto an island, and then through a, a number of different game modes, they can either um, build, they can um, try and wipe each other out, but it's all done in a kind of cartoony, quite fun way. The premise is all about um, teamwork. There is some player modes where you have to be in solo mode, but mainly it's in, in terms of squads. But what was really interesting about this game, and I, I read some further updates and some stats on it just recently, 350 million people are now registered playing this game. That's incredible. And also in April of this year, 2020, 3.2 billion hours were spent playing Fortnite. Now, I just want to hold my hand up. That wasn't just me or just kids. It was um, all my own children. But it just goes to show how popular the game is. And games generally tend to last around about 20 minutes. 
And then it's just so much gamification that's included, but also a great deal of different ways that people can interact and talk with each other. And it just it enlightened me standing back at looking at my own children. I have, I have four children, a wonderful set of 10-year-old twins and a 14-year-old that all play this game. And I just stood back and just observed and watched, and it was it was really insightful for me. So, yeah, a little bit of an intro on Fortnite, and hopefully there's um, lots of people listening that also play the game too. So let's just stick with the game for a second before we get too heady in corporate structure. What attracts you to the game? Why is it so much fun? I'll admit, I tried. I admit, I failed. <laughs> well, firstly, it's free. I, I think anything that's free is always going to, to have some, um, some, some attraction to it. The game itself is, as I mentioned, is quite short. You can play with your friends. It's cross-platform. So it doesn't matter whether you have a PlayStation, an Xbox, or a PC. You can all play with your your different friends. But actually, you can then um, you can have a personality. You have a role um, inside of it. So if you were to one of the modes is a squad, and it's four um, it's it's four people with inside a squad. You got other modes such as duos, which obviously is two. Uh, but as a squad, you can drop as four, um, and your job is to survive and in essence, wipe out the rest of the squads. But on the way, you can um, pick up new items, you can wear different clothes, you can have a personality about it. But actually, ultimately, it's about winning. But you only win if you work together. Do you know, So if you, if you are a member of a squad and you all drop on different parts of the island and wander off in different directions, guess what? You're not going to win. And that's, yeah, so I think from a game perspective, it's got a cult following. We've seen, um, and this is maybe showing my age a little bit. So if I get this wrong, you can you can you can shout at me. But um, we've had like Marshmallow, who's one of the big DJs in the world, actually do a live show on there. Ten million people actually watched it and engaged with it as well. And they have events that happen generally every kind of twelve to fourteen weeks. There's actually one happening next week, and they they're monumental. Do you know? And and I think the final piece around it is. It constantly changes how the island is shaped and looked and where you can land and what you can do. So what's really interesting for me is, especially when you relate it to when we're at work, what makes us really excited? It's that spark, something different, something new. And gamification, I think, is is one of the most underrated ways that people either engage inside a game, but more importantly, we do gamification at work every day, whether it's a small project or a small task or I've managed to stick it in for three hours on that meeting and survive without a cup of coffee. It's all gamification. So, yeah, a little bit of background on the game there too. Really interesting. And you really do can start to see some of those parallels between what makes the game work and what we have to do for work. Now, the big difference here is you're opting in to the game and you're going to work because, well, you like to pay for the game and the devices that make the game work and the house where it lives in and these sorts of things. But it sure makes that 8 to 10 to 12 hour day an awful lot more fun when the environment can be more dynamic, when there are game aspects to it, when you work together. Because when you work together, really in any context, but let's, let's, let's pull it back into what we do with work. When we work together, we succeed. We do. And I, I think a really important piece of when we've looked at different customers and different organizations in terms of how they work, how they build the perfect, say, organizational structure, um, three things really stand out for me. One is they're very connected to the outcome of a business. You know, they're not separated. And if you look at Fortnite, you are absolutely 100% connected to the, the outcome of the game is to win. Secondly, 
you're maximizing your skills. You know, so when whenever you work with inside a team, I, I always see and when I speak to people, they want two things. They want to be autonomous, i.e., they want to be able to, you know, develop and grow. And secondly, they want to be mastery. So therefore they want to be able to show their skills off in the best way possible. That I think that brings together how a team works. And then finally, it's about reward. If you speak to anybody now, I mean, Jeff, we talk a great deal about strategy. And we say, what's a three-year strategy? We kind of look at each other going, well, if you could tell me the six or 12-month strategy, that would be amazing. And I, I think the important piece there is, is you're connected to the outcome. You're connected to a reward. If you look today, I mean, pick up your mobile phone. Anybody that has a mobile phone listening in today, and pick up your mobile phone and look how many of your applications get updated on a regular basis. That's iterative updates based on feedback. You know, so are the generations, the, the Ys and the Zs and the Alphas that are coming through are just built on being digital, built on iterative updates, built on seeing feedback instantly. And I think those three things is, is what really drives it in terms of being successful, but then also how it can then align to the right organizational structure for, for companies to take a look at. Yeah. So as we compare what we're talking about, the gamification or applying the squad mentality to to the corporate office and how we organize, it makes me think, you know, what was it like before? So if we dial the dial it back, you know, call it a hundred years, call it even fifty years. And we're taught from a really early age to sit in a room and to listen to the smart person at the front who tells us what we need to do, and then we go home and do our part, and then we we bring it back. And that really just prepares us to then go into the corporate world where we have this, you know, in the old days, an extraordinarily rigid organizational structure that was generally pretty deep and not, not real wide, but pretty deep. And, and you knew your little part you had to do and you did your part. And it seemed like there was also, you, you, you never knew how your piece fit into the whole. But when you look at how we're organizing ourselves today, and there are a whole lot of reasons why we're doing it, we're going to dig into some of these you realize that it, it is enabler. It's how we are enabling the individual, showing them what, what the, the end looks like, what the reward is. How do we win? How do we win together? Now play your part and play it well. I couldn't agree more. I, I think, look, you know, I grew up in, obviously we're doing transatlantic today. I, I grew up in a region in the UK called Yorkshire. In Yorkshire, we had many, many different industries, especially when I grew up back in the, the 80s, we had many mining industries. You know, Many of my family and my wife's family actually went to a mine every day and basically took coal. You know, There's your job. This is what you do and you come home. And that's what you did every single day. And it was hard. It was a hard graft. What's really interesting for me is when I, when I look back, whether using their best skills or whether just actually undertaking a job, you know, where all of those people that went down the mine, was that the best role for them? Did, you know, some of them were amazing music, musicians. You know, some of them had um, fantastic other vocational skills that they could potentially utilize. Some of them are very academic. You know, and it's it's really interesting when you when you look back into history in terms of very hierarchical structures where it's to a certain extent command and control. There is a job. This is a job you will go and do and do it to your best ability. But does that get the best ability out of the person that's undertaking that job? And I think that's when you when you look at organizational structures today, we've all been in those situations as well. I mean, not even that many years ago where you have a project kickoff meeting and there's 35 people there. Do you know, and, and actually, do you feel that actually you've done the project kickoff, that A, everybody listened? Secondly, do you feel that the, the smallest voice was heard? 
Secondly, do you feel that you have everybody in the right role at the right time? Do you know, and what's interesting for me is when I when I watch my twins and my eldest play, even when the four of us play together, they have a role, they have an understanding, they know what to do and when to do it. They collaborate, they communicate, they engage with each other. More importantly, they actually help each other, but they pass judgment without it seemingly being embarrassing or or worrying what the other person would feel like because it's been done in such a positive way rather than, to your point, you know, hierarchical, negative, you're doing a job wrong, therefore you feel bad. Actually, no, this is about bringing the positive attributes through as well. So it's making sure that, you know, small groups and one of our customers today is a company called Supercell, you know, very well known for for Candy Crush and, and many other games in the marketplace today. And they have a great analogy, which was think small and you'll achieve big things. Absolutely love that. And it's, it, while it's counterintuitive, I think it's, you know, the, the small pod structures today, the gamification, et cetera, really leads to companies being a lot more nimble and innovative in terms of getting the best out of their employees too. Right. So I think there are a few things at play that are really the enabler that are allowing organizations today to be able to even even consider this. And I think the first, obviously, is technological. You know, you talk about your 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 family and were they in the best role? Well, you know what? From where things were from a society perspective and an enablement perspective, was there even an outlet? for what they maybe would have been more able to do or gotten more personal satisfaction out of it. And then the other is technological. You know, back in that day, to to go mining, we didn't have the sophistication from a mining perspective. And back to the sidal chain point, nobody, I would venture to guess, and I would even bet a few bucks, nobody asked them, is there a better way? Do you think there's a better way to get coal out of that hole in the ground? Because they didn't want to know. It was command and control. So you have a societal change and you also have a technical capability. And that puts us in the environment where we are today, where there is an absolute openness. And I'd say it wasn't there originally because we came into this from that old enterprise environment. And what happened was technology enabled somebody in a garage to disrupt a hundred year or 200 year old business or even more. And so what companies have all realized they have to do is think differently and utilize the technology that they have. Yeah, and I think what you bring up is an excellent point around alignment and autonomy. If you look at an organization that has low autonomy and high alignment, it's very much like a famous kind of Dilbert cartoon, which very much, you know, we need to cross the river. And then actually in, in a very high alignment, low autonomy organization, It'd be very much of go and build a bridge, you know, conform to it. We've made a decision. Senior management have made a decision. Build a bridge. Okay, well, okay, we need to cross the river. Building a okay, so we're going to build a bridge. But the reality of it is that that, especially today, and when people are very interactive, when they are engaging in ways where the games bring out their creativity and allow them to be creative and allow them to think and come up with different ways, they expect that now when they go to work. So. It has to be more high alignment and high autonomy. So rather than we need to cross the river, build a bridge, it's we need to cross the river, figure out how to go and do that. I can imagine when during the Fortnite game, if we say we're going off in this direction, and then the answer's back of, uh, Dad, why are we going off in that direction? And my answer to my children was, because Dad decided to go off in that direction, and that's where we're going. I can guarantee you now my, my three kids are going the other way, um, would most probably let me die and then prove the point by winning the match still, right? So 
that is because actually you're asking the question. You, you're driving. It, it's about being. Can I drive more innovation? Can I drive more collaboration? Because the freer the mind, the better the ideas. And I think you know that. So to your point. Now, the movement now where we've gone from high alignment, low autonomy into high alignment and high autonomy, I think is what's making not only the best ideas, but is 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 building that perfect um, organizational structure too. So that means we're here we are in this environment where corporations realize change is required and they have to increase the autonomy of the folks who who report to them and who they expect to deliver results. And we're in an environment where the technology is there as an enabler. And then the third piece is there's an expectation from an employee contributor perspective. So with that as the backdrop or the stool that we're sitting on and the three legs of it, what are some of these organizational structures today that are making an impact in inside of even some very old organizations? Yeah, I, I think you can look into the banking industry as some great examples. I, I read an article just recently where some of the major banks have been very much under threat from fintech organizations. In days gone by, they would have actually just tried to respond by building better products. right? And those, But unfortunately, just due to the size of the company, that product enablement would have taken months, potentially years, to actually to compete, and therefore you've lost the opportunity. Banks such as Deutsche Bank and other investment banks such as UBS are actually building their own teams. And to a certain extent, separating them off from the existing business to allow them to go and be free of the constraints, but also be conscious of the integration that may be required. But when you are competing as a, say, standard savings and investment bank with high street stores, for example, against a digital bank which was born in the cloud, only uses digital services, and can move very rapidly based on feedback, some of the only ways that you can respond to that is actually by creating your own, but separating them. But importantly, it's not about separating and then just hiring a bunch of folks and being separate. It's making sure that you take the knowledge that you have with inside your organization to then build that team. If I relate it back to the Fortnite model, I have a set of twins, Ben and Sam. Ben absolutely loves being a builder. Do you know, one that is protecting, one that is supporting. You know, Sam is the one that is foraging ahead. He's he's generally will if you put it into a scenario, he will he will drive forward and charge towards another squad. But that kind of activation, as so to speak, is absolutely needed. Do you know, it's it's needed to drive forward and take that chance. And then behind him, really quickly, is then Ben is then protecting. And then what you then have is interestingly enough, you have like an observer, like the eldest Zach, will then be looking to maybe come around the sides to to take people now. That's because they have knowledge of each other. They have knowledge of the roles. So I think when you look at big organizations making the shift, the ones that have been the most successful have taken their internal knowledge and capital and then created a pod or a squad or a team, separated that from the day-to-day kind of grind and the process and then allowed them to build, but then come back and then obviously integrate it at a late stage. You, know, you mentioned it earlier. We have conversations all the time around what's that three-year strategy. And a lot of times what you have to do is you've got to set aside that squad because you you and I could sit and wax technical all day long and say, this is what we should do. But until somebody builds that thing or a proof of concept of that thing and has the freedom and autonomy to do that and then to test it, you know, it gets back to the old thing. And you know, I say it's old. It didn't feel old 10 years ago now, but to fail fast to enable somebody to go in, disprove the marketplace and prove the model and, and come back and institutionalize that. 
not necessarily in the old structured way, but maybe we reinvent the whole organization to be able to support that. Yeah, and it's, it's important as well in that structure that it's it's not just viewed upon as a group of people building new, because if what, what some of the risk could be is that you constantly build brand new islands. And importantly, as part of the structure that you put together, you know, a, a gentleman called Simon Wardley over in the UK came up with a wonderful structure a number of years ago called um, Pioneers, Settlers and Town Planners. The pioneers are a little bit like Sam, as I was mentioning. They're the, the people that are looking for, and what we do in our roles every day, Jeff, is we're exploring never discovered kind of ideas, right? We're, we're going into uncharted waters to see how we can improve rack space and deliver more services to our customers. And then there's behind that, there's a bend, you know, and Simon talks about them being a something he calls a settler, you know, somebody that enables them to take my idea, your crazy idea, Tolga's crazy idea, and actually build them into something that's useful. But then behind that, there's, there's then a, a team of people that then need to take a look at saying, look, how do I industrialize it? Simon talks of these being the town planners. How do I then build it out at scale? And more importantly, how do I connect it back or actually bring the existing organization up to the level of where we are today? That's a, a key role which I... I, I tend to look at as being connected tissue, Do you know. So you've got your pioneers, as Simon calls them, the settlers, as he calls them, in terms of them building something, and then the town planners that says, like, drive it at scale, make it efficient, make it economic, and make sure that the services that you have either integrate or we we take the company back on the journey. And I think that that's really key. So it's we we don't go off and just build unique islands because, as we both know, and when we do this, it becomes disparate. And more importantly, for the customer, it becomes confusing. Yeah, too much change. So that's a really good observation. And that is that you know, not everybody can be charging ahead as the pioneer. And you make the point well that in your family, you know who's charging ahead and you know who's running support and you know who's on the side, you know, observing and, and making sure that uh, the supply lines are, are, are well fortified. Yeah, and I think just to add to that, it's making sure that the feedback loop's in place, right? I I love listening. You know, there's maybe a few more screams than what I expected, but when when my when my sons play with their friends and the players of squad, they will lose sometimes. Now, obviously, being eleven, they, you you tend to get a little bit more emotion. Obviously, there's no language, which is quite useful, but there's a lot of emotion. You might get a goddamn it every now and again and a, a bit of a scream, like "No, I hear from the front room." But actually, what they do is they have a mop up afterwards. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was, it's really interesting where you think actually they just slam the headphones down, throw the controller onto the sofa, turn the Xbox off, and walk out the front room just in a rage. And that's what I expect because I, I would have done that. I mean, we all see those YouTube videos where some guy's just been beaten on FIFA and has thrown a remote control at the TV and then completely like just sat there. What the hell did I just do? But they don't because they are constantly talking with each other as part of the chat, not just in the game, but all throughout. And afterwards, while they'll say, right, let's go again. Let's go and try it again. This, it, you know, that didn't work. Our minimum viable product wasn't successful this time. What went wrong? And actually, they might say, right, we'll land at this part of the island this time. Let's try this tactic. Why don't you go and try this? Why don't town planners, what, are you, what did we do wrong? Do you know, pioneers, you just ran off too quickly. Come back. And while you may go, well, actually, it's it's really quick feedback. It's feedback that everybody's taking on board because they all want to be part of the squad and they all want to be successful. And I think that's a really key point. Whatever organization you set up, they have to be very, very much bought into the, the mission 
in terms of what they're hoping to achieve. There is no point setting up the right team with the right structure and having people that are not bought into the mission because you will fail. And I think also then making sure that that constant feedback loop happens, but it happens where people don't feel that they are restrictive in what they can say, either for political reasons or, you know, they, they don't have to hold back. And I have my 11-year-olds play with some of Zach's friends that are 13 and 14. And actually, you'd think at different age groups, that'd be quite difficult. It's not, because actually they've all bought into the mission and therefore they give the feedback. And I've seen it then play out in a really interesting way when they actually meet each other physically. They'll actually see each other on the on, on the street or when we go shopping or something, and they'll see each other. And I've seen relationships actually be better because they, they there's an element of trust that's there already. There isn't any politics or emotion. They have a common cause that they want to engage with. And I, I think, you know, it's beautiful to see, absolutely beautiful to see. But don't get me wrong, when dad plays rubbish, dad gets told. <laughs> so true. But it, but you really, I think, are making a, a pretty incredible point. So regardless of what age we are, we're constantly being judged or graded or assessed by the people around us, you know, in the work environment. What certifications do you have? What's your title? How old are you? And that that old one or grade is something that I think applies really well to your you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds. That's one of the first things that they're going to assess somebody on. What they're not assessing each other on initially, and, and we aren't in the workplace as, as older individuals, is being able to assess purely on skill, capability, what they bring to the mission. Because it doesn't matter. Those other things really start to matter, whether that's age, whether that's gender, whether that's university degree or certification. It's what are you contributing to it? And in that environment, in that squad environment where you're brought in to have that role because you understand your capability, you're able to then show that. And so then when you get together as humans in the street, you're starting from that base level of, you mentioned it, it's trust because they've proven, they've shown what they have to contribute. Yeah, 100%. If I was to crystallize that, they are judging people on progress and, and to your point, contribution, rather than, as I read an article saying, rather than judging people on power. I think that's a really poignant statement around the fact of what you actually bring to the team. And what's interesting is it removes the the barriers of, to your point, education, accent. Do you know, I, I have a very strong regional accent, and actually, do you know that that can that can lead to to judgment. It, it's especially in the UK, we were known for having a class society, and again, that removes it. It removes what clothes you wear, what trainers you buy in, because actually, what you see is a great degree of management of process, but more importantly, also then transparency. And the transparency is about making sure that information and progress is shared and it's shared between everybody. You know, Supercell send our customer, send a company-wide email every day on their key performance indicators. It's not to one or two employees, it's to absolutely everybody. And similar to my sons when they log on today onto Fortnite, it shows how they've done, where they've done. These leaderboards, there is stats that always come back. And that then enables them to understand who they're going to go and play with, right? Because some teams will excel and move forward and some work. So dad, for example, is not going to play with Sam every day because Sam is superb and dad might need a little bit more coaching, a bit more work. So, But it's a really important piece, Jeff, where managing progress, working at people rather than the power, 
can only happen actually if you're transparent to your point and if you distribute the communication and the key performance indicators of how you're performing. And it just takes away all of the noise and the politics that it comes with. And what it becomes, what I found in, in organizations that, that function like this and teams that function like this as I led them, is as opposed to trying to march people up a hill and, and get a job done and say it's moving a boulder up a hill and you know having to strictly micromanage that thing. What it becomes is here's this boulder that has such momentum that is moving that all you're having to do is touch a little bit on the left move it a little bit on the right just to make sure that it goes in the right direction because that momentum builds on itself because that team knows what the goal is. They know their part in it and they're getting the constant feedback of either what's working, nudge it to the left, nudge it to the right, or what's not working where they have to solve for that, those problems. But then in, in, you mentioned it way back at the beginning of, of our chat is that it's not about leadership saying, this is how you solve for what's not working. We just all acknowledge it's not working. Now, you people who are the smartest in the room, figure out how to make it work. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that, that comes back to the you know, high alignment, high autonomy. You know, you'll get the best out of your people when you ask them how, not tell them why they should be doing it. You know, I think and that's the key piece. You know, it's by simply asking that question, you've broken down hierarchical structures. You've enabled people to have a voice and have feedback. I go back to what we talked about at the beginning of this, this podcast the best way to do that as well is in is in smaller teams. Do you know, I, I fundamentally believe that. We've all been there. Project kickoff, 13 to 20 people sat in a room. I'll guarantee you 50 to 75% of that room either doesn't want to be there, doesn't understand why they're there. More importantly, doesn't feel that they can have some potential input. Project kickoff with four key leads over what we're going to do that then disseminates and go and speak to other leads in terms of what we want to do with a clear defined mission of why it needs to be delivered, but then more importantly, asking the question of how can we go and deliver it and let's come back with the ideas. That's what makes it really exciting. I worked at a gambling company called Betfair for a number of years. And back in 2012, introduced to Kanban and remember walking into a, a meeting room and it had glass walls and everybody knows Kanban today. But back in 2012, there were post-it notes absolutely everywhere. I'd never seen anything like it. And it was a complete map of you know a end-to-end process of our customer places a bet on our on our mobile phone platform all the way through to then receiving their winnings if they won or obviously deducting from their account if they lost. And there was just five or six people looking around. How do we change it? What do we do? And importantly, if actually they needed an idea to pop the head out the door, like Hillary, can you pop in? Steve, can you pop in? They're popping, give some view, go back out again. And that iterative nature, pulling people in at the right time rather than simply starting off with a huge amount of people um, I feel today is, is making teams extremely successful because it, it's, it's, it's just giving absolute focus and that point that we mentioned, alignment and autonomy too. And there is no perfect team structure. The perfect team structure is people are able to, well, first of all, you keep them small, but you're able to add and remove as you have need. You lack a skill, you get that skill. You're done with the skill, you find the next skill. Yeah, and I, I think, look, with Inside Rackspace, you know, Graham Weston said, you want to be a, a valued member of a team on an inspiring mission. You know, we have that today, and we still have that as our as our guiding light with Inside Rackspace. And that should be the guiding light for, for any team in terms of the structure that you want to put together. There will be some people that don't want to go down a particular path, and, you know, you, you have to seek those people out. I think finally as well, just to, just to add, 
Jeff, and we've we've touched on it a little bit because it is throughout the conversation of, of especially in the gaming space. But there is nothing better than hearing a scream from my front room from one of the twins. The other one is normally upstairs in the bedroom because they play on different consoles. One's PC, one's Xbox. Of a win and a celebration and a dance and high fives and it's ecstatic. We have to remember, no matter what team you pull together, make sure that when you do achieve success, that you celebrate it as a team and you continue to celebrate as a team when you achieve those successes. You will have some failures. You will step backwards. But when you come back from some of those failures and you step forward and you you win, it's not a shake of the hand and a walk home and get in the car. It's a celebration. That's what makes the team structures really unique. And so it's, it's end-to-end. So make sure with every team that you're in, whatever you do, celebrate the small stuff because when the big stuff comes along, you've, you've had all those little wins along the way. It's all, all building block. Well, I can think of no better way to wrap this up than on that sentiment. Celebrate the wins, regardless of your team's structure. Lee, thank you so much for spending the past 35 or so minutes with us and sharing these thoughts. You're going to be back. I really want to dig into this deeper. I want to give some examples of where it's working and where it's not. We'll get tangible about it. And I know that you've got a lot of other things knocking around in your head. So we look forward to having you back. So thank you so much. Everyone, I am Jeff DeBurter. This is Cloud Talk, part of Rackspace Solve. We hope you have a great day. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. As Lee stated, the most successful companies now take their internal knowledge and capital. They make a squad and they separate them from the day to day and they let them build and create, bring them back and integrate that new creation. Wise words of advice for companies looking to make the most of their organizations by freeing up their employees. Well, now I want to tell you about a new series coming to Rackspace Solve, and it's called Solve Strategy Series, and it encompasses five global roundtable events on the most important topics affecting cloud adoption today. Now, these events will have a featured speaker as well as a roundtable of experts to discuss and to debate the topic of the day. The first event is just a few short weeks away and features none other than Jack Aldrich, author and global futurist. Just head over to rackspace.com slash solve slash solve strategy series, where solve strategy series are separated by hyphens. I think you're really going to love this new series. The first of which is on July 21st. Okay, now let's take a listen to what we have in store for you in our next episode. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. You know, don't worry about the infrastructure that you're running software on. How do we shift from thinking about infrastructure and servers and hardware and IT in general to really thinking about applications as solving business problems? It's all focused on the business objectives, right? So what are the business drivers of cloud adoption? Where are you trying to get to as a company? And that's really kind of where we craft the plan. And that's in our next episode of Cloud Talk.